keep hearing that we need to hold out. That, that there's, there's nothing else to do but just hold out. But I want you to turn to Romans 8, and uh, at least we can look at verse 31 through 34. I want to talk about the conquest now. And in those verses, I want you to see the triple need of the church. The triple need of the church. There's a triple need that we need to get ourselves to. Before we read Romans 8.31, let me share something with you that Paul's analogy here of us being more than conquerors, of being in this conquest with God, is like a champion looking at the battlefield after the battle is over. You know, and so what we take now, we've been talking about getting there and winning the race. I need you to take a backward glance at some things that have been trying to hinder you, distract you, cause you to fall. Sometimes you've got to take a chance to survey your life and where you've been. So for 15 years now, you guys have been through a lot of things. I know everybody may not have been here the whole 15 years, but it doesn't matter. When you look back to see where God has brought you from, it, it, it gives you something to think about. And I think as the church looks back, as it makes a present stand, and as it gets ready for the future, there's a triple need for the church. Three things that we need to develop ourselves in so that we can understand how to walk in the presence of God, how to walk where God wants us to walk and do what God wants us to do. And the only way you can do that is to make a stand. And it's, it's, it's so important that we stand on our past because that Christ has already redeemed us by his blood. We stand on our present because the Holy Spirit sustains us with his anointing. And we stand on our future because we have a hope that this is not the end. That we're going somewhere. We're going to get to a future glory. And that future glory is going to take us someplace that's far beyond where we are. Well, let's look at the context of this text. It is the only time in the whole entire Bible that we are told we are more than. And I love Romans 8 because in that he always deals with us being more than. In other words, whatever you think you are, according to the text, you are more than. And that, that really gives us something right there. You're more, than, you're more than victorious. You're more than conquerors. You're more. He uses this language only one time in one chapter that we are more than. And that gives us something to really look at. Let's read uh, verses 31 through 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Here is one important thing about uh, that passage that I want you to underline more than anything else. He says that he's given us all things. That means everything that we need, God has already given it to us. Which means that you don't even have to request it. Because he's already given it. That's, that's really a problem. Paul is taking a future look 
and looking at the future as if it's already the past. What shall we say to these things? The battlefield has already been won. The enemy has already vanished. And the conqueror is sitting there at an empty battlefield knowing that the battle is already won and saying, for all of the accusations, for all of the trials, for all of the temptations, all of the things that tried to come against us, look at us now. We're on the other side. He looks into the future and treats it as if it's the past. So he says, what shall we say to these things? To every accusation, to every tribulation, to every problem, everything you're looking at now is in the past. See, this takes some faith to be able to put yourself in the future and look at your present as if it's your past. In other words, you already know God's giving you the victory. Now, you have to understand the present situation. The present situation is that Christians were under persecution. They were being killed for their faith. The Romans were constantly killing Christians. As soon as they pop up, they were killing them. They were martyring them. And Paul says we are more than conquerors. It didn't even look like the church was going to survive the first century. And he's calling us conquerors. That's an amazing statement of looking at where we are. Read verse, just verse 31. Read that for us again. Well, then shall we say in response to these things? See, these things has to do with verses 28 to verse 30 where he talks about things working together for good. All things, all of your circumstances, all of everything that's going on in your life has been working for an ultimate end. No matter what it is, God had already planned an ultimate end to your circumstances. All he needs you to do in verse 28 is to love God. Because the them that keep loving God is working out. So he says, all you need to do is love God. All I need you to do, all things is working together for who? Those who love God. Those who already caught. But if you love him, I love you, Lord, in spite of what I don't have. I love you, Lord, in spite of what I'm going through. I love you, Lord, in spite of what may be happening in my life. I love you no matter what. So when I love you, it proves that things are working because my love is stronger than anything that I can deal with. So I want you to capture your minds as a future glance to look at your present as your, fa- as your past so that in essence you already have the victory. Amen? So since he says we need these things. He's given us all things. What are the things that the church need? I suggest unto you there are going to be three things in the context of what I'm dealing with today in this text that the church need. I did three G's. They're real, real interesting. The first is the church needs guidance. The church needs guidance. Number two, the church needs grace. And number three, the church needs glory. Interesting. The church needs guidance. The church needs grace. 
and the church needs glory. Now, before we get to what we need, let's look at what God has supplied. Now, in the context of the text, God has supplied some things. I, I could read this whole section with you, but I want to dissect some things because I don't want to be too long. I would love to take you from verse 28 all the way down to verse 30, 37. It, it's just a whole section there that brings us into an idea of what God is doing and what God is saying, but I want to kind of capitalize where it is. Let me cover the whole section by, by saying simply this. God has supplied us with three important P's that will help us to get to our need. Since we need guidance, we need grace, we need glory, what has God given us? First of all, God has given us providence. He's given us providence. Now, providence is one of those peculiar words that really talks about in theology that God had already planned what you're going through. And since he already knew what you were going through, he already arranged what will happen before you did it? That's called providence. Uh, let me give you a little, little better. Yesterday I was going to Winston-Salem. Didn't know where I was going. We had the GPS on. Me and Bishop Burks was riding with me. And we were talking, so we missed our turn. And the GPS said, make a legal U-turn when possible. Well, it wasn't possible. We were on the highway. So we kept going up. After a while, it said, take the next exit. We took the next exit, and we routed all around, but we, guess what? We ended up where we were planning to go. We missed the right exit, which would have took us straight to it, but we went the wrong exit, but even in the wrong choice, the plan. <laughs> I don't know if you hear what's going on. No matter what choice you make, God has already provided the means for you to get where he intended you to be. See, some of us have had to make the wrongs. See, in Exodus, 20, in Exodus 14, it says something very interesting, and it, goes, it talks about the escape and them getting out of, out of Egypt. When we get to Exodus 15, and they get ready to cross the Red Sea, it's an interesting statement that the Lord makes. The Lord says he could have took them straight into Egypt, but because they weren't ready for the battle, he took them around. Now, they're going to get there to Canaan. But sometimes God has to take you through some other turns. He has to teach you some lessons. You have to go through some things before you get to where he intended you to be. So God has supplied you with providence. Secondly, and in the contents of the, of the text we're reading, he has provided you with a pledge. That pledge is that I don't care what anybody says. What should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's a pledge. By the way, the questions are rhetorical. They don't need an answer. The idea is that when I look back over the victory I'm already standing in, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, who can separate us? 
Who can cause me to fall? I got to look back because God has already pledged that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. God has already pledged, 1 John 4 and 4, the greater one is already inside of me. So the pledge is, as long as he's with me, I don't have to worry about who comes against me. The pledge is, I'll be with you always till the end of the world. The pledge is in first and St. John 16 and 13, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. There's a pledge that God is going to work, work with you and take you through everything that you're dealing with. So you don't have to worry. Stop worrying about what you're going through because God's right there. Yes, sir. So there's a pledge. So God has given you providence. He's given you a pledge. And the last thing, which is so very important, he's giving you protection. And in the, in the context of the text, he says that, you know that famous text, who can separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall trial, shall nakedness, shall famine. And then the rhetorical answer, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. So in essence, we already got the victory. See, victory is positional. Victory is personal, but most of all, victory is guaranteed. Let me, let me show you how the world has messed up victory. The, the word for victory, and it's used a lot in Revelation, is the Greek term Nike. That should sound familiar to a lot of you when you're talking about tennis shoes. They took it from the Greek. The Greek word is Nike. Nike means victor. So whenever you get Nike, it means you are the, not in sports, in the church, I got Nike. It's victory. So you got more than victory. You are a conqueror. So, so let, let, let's, let's deal with the context of, of where we are now. Um, we got a need. We got a triple need. Let's deal with the first need. The first need is guidance. We have a need for guidance. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. See, and, and, and understand that in the pattern of the church, there is, a, there is a pattern for guidance that the Bible has designed for us. If we miss the pattern, we miss the leading of the Lord. Romans 10, verse 14 and 15. Here's the pattern. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? In other words, how can you call on the Lord when you have not even believed in him? In other words, how can you request God? I don't understand how people think they can pray to God, how they think they can get something from God when they don't serve God. You know, you're doing everything you're big enough to do, but then when you need something, you want to pray to God. But you never, you never give to the church, you never attend, you never worship, but whenever you need something, you're going to call on the Lord. Paul's so saying here, how can you call on him who you never believe? He's only convenient when I need a job. He's only convenient when I need to get some money. He's convenient, I'm going to buy this house, I better pray to the Lord. Well, you ain't prayed to him before. See, so he's saying, how can you call on him and you don't have a relationship? Read on. And how can they believe 
in the one of whom they have not heard. Well, first of all, how can you call on him who you don't even believe? But I can't expect you to believe if you haven't even heard. Now, people, some people think they can teach themselves. They think it's all right. They don't need to come to church. You, you can't get by this fellowship. God has designed that we get in this thing together. There is a we language throughout the New Testament. It's never an I language. It's always a we language. You know, we, we must get there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for one, by one spirit we all baptize into one body. And then he goes on to say, the hand cannot say to the foot, I'm not part of the body, because we got to get this thing together. If we're going to make it in, we're going to come in together. The strong cannot say to the weak, I'm not part of the body. You ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. We need to get this thing together. And so we get the whole body in Ephesians 4.16, which says it must be fitly framed together. In other words, each piece must do its part and not try to compete with the other part. So that everything that we're doing in Philippians and every other church in the country and even in the world is a piece to the puzzle that will eventually all come together to represent the body of Christ. If one church thinks it's the body, it's way out of line. It's only a piece of the puzzle. But when you get all the pieces together, God is looking from the panoramic view. He's looking at all the pieces. And he sees the body of Christ. And so we, we walk in that. Next verse. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can you hear? See, see, look at the pattern. First of all, you can't call on him you haven't believed. You can't believe until you hear the message. Now we got the funnel for the message. So read that again. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can you hear without the preacher? And the last part? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Look, look, and, and, look, how can you hear? So God sent this man so that you can hear the gospel, so that you could believe, and then you can call on the Lord. Look at the pattern. That's a pattern. So your guidance is coming through what? The preacher. Okay, well, let, me, let me explain to you where, where the preacher stands. Every pastor is both a prophet and a priest. That's his position. He is a prophet and a priest. Now, forget titles. I know we get all hung up in titles. What I, what I want to share with you is the Bible talks about functions, not titles. You can call him a prophet. You can call him a priest. You can call him an apostle. You can call him a bishop. It doesn't matter. The idea is function. Now, as a prophet, God always, in guidance, you must understand this, God always looks for a spokesman in guidance. God never talks to people. He talks to a leader. But I hear from God just like you. Yeah, you hear for your personal development. But for the church, God prophesies through his leader. Because a pastor is a prophet. Let me get through it. I'm trying to get through it. Pastor is a prophet, which means a prophet, the word prophia, means to speak on behalf of someone. They're not speaking their words. When he studies, he's studying what God wants to say to you. And so he becomes the prophet. 
He is the spokesman. You can search throughout your Bible from the beginning on until now that every time God has a word for the preacher, he got a spokesman. And the spokesman brought the word that God wanted to say to the people. In fact, at one point in Israel's history, in Exodus chapter 33, they, wanted, they said, look, we don't want to, we don't want to hear you, Moses. We, will, we can talk to God for ourselves. Moses said, go ahead. Every time you get more than one person trying to talk to God, you ain't going to hear nothing but thunder. And when God thundered, the people got afraid. They reached back and said, Pastor, you, you, you talk to him. Tell us what he said. Because God will talk clearly to his spokesman. Everybody else will hear thunder. See, when Paul went and wrote to Damascus and, and, and he spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? The text said that everybody else around heard thunder. That's right. That's right. Only Paul heard a clear word. Yeah, I heard the Lord. No, you heard thunder. John chapter 12, Jesus, Jesus stood there after he had raised Lazarus from the dead, the end part of chapter 11 in John, and um, the, the Spirit spoke out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And then the commentary of the text went on to say, everybody else heard thunder. Wow, wow. Who heard the clear word? Jesus, Paul, Moses, Abraham. You going down. It's always the spokesman who hears from God, speaks to you. Now, you remember, God has made his feet beautiful. So he has a relationship with God. So he is, Bishop is the prophet of this house. Now, that means myself or anybody else that comes in only comes in under the authority of this man. Because every pastor is the angel of the house. Which means in his house, he's the one that say yay or nay. Without his authority, we do nothing. But God spoke to me. He told me not to hold it. Hold it. Whatever you do, hold it. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. But I know God told me something. Hold it. Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So as a prophet, and you might think this is easy, it's not easy to get a word from God because whatever you get from God, you've got to make it understandable to the people. So you've got to find a way to break it down so the people can get it. That's a hard job. It's not an easy job. Man, you know the thing God's running in my head right now and I'm trying to break it down for you? That's a hard job. And when a pastor is pastoring his own people, you have to understand what he's saying to the house of things that he needs to say to the house that is here. He might go out and speak to other people. He's a pastor preach when he went out. Yeah, he did. He don't have the burden of those people. So he can encourage them. But you, he's trying to build up. This is my house. Sir. So in my house... I got to do more teaching. I got to do more. But when I go out, I can preach. And some of you don't get it. It's like, oh, he preached when he out there. He don't do that when he's home. Because he got to deal with hard, neck, stiff, 
No, excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're going to get guidance, you've got to hear the preacher. He is a what? Prophet. Come on, tell me. He is a what? Which means he hears from God to speak to you. Oh, but number two, he is also a priest. A priest's job is to take your requests and present it to God. So as a prophet, he speaks for God and gives it to you. As a priest, he speaks to God about what's going on. You know that he's constantly interceding for you. And see, with, with that intercession comes wisdom. So the pastor must have wisdom. Where sometimes, you know, it's, it's funny because people don't have grace. They're ready to cut you off in a minute. Man, they'll cut you. Once they found you wrong, cut them. Kill them. Pastor's going to give them another chance. You know, it's the grace of God. God. God's after your heart. If the Lord had cut you off like that, none of us would have been here. But he gives you another chance all the time. So sometimes the pastor's got to take wisdom. Stuff that you think should have been cut and dealt with right then, the pastor's using wisdom. Because most of the time, God is trying to give that person time to repent. Not to judge them. And you don't understand that waiting period because you're ready to, to kill them, usually for stuff that you're guilty about. There's a servant that didn't messed up the money. He was a steward. And the king forgave him. Then he went out. Somebody else owed him money. He grabbed him by the throat. And said, you're going to pay me. And when the king heard of it, he put that man in jail. He said, didn't I forgive you? And yet you go out and strangle somebody else for the very thing that I forgave you of? Be careful. Most of the time, people who are so loud to judge people about everything is probably because they're guilty about it themselves. And what they're doing is working through their own guilt, punishing somebody else for what they should have been punished for. Woo! So the church needs guidance, but we need guidance through a man of God that will be both a prophet and a priest. He's constantly serving up before God. When he's praying for the church, he's praying for the church. And it ain't personal. He's praying for the church. Some of you might be shacking, might be doing all kinds of stuff, but he's praying for the church. He's praying for the sins of the church. And you don't fool yourself. God hasn't judged you because of the preacher. Because he's in a seating, God hasn't done what he should have done. You know, he wanted, at one point in Exodus 33, he wanted to he wanted just get rid of the people. He, he said, look, they ain't doing right. I, I'm just going to wipe them out, Moses. Moses stood in the way and said, Lord, no, no, don't do that. Don't, don't wipe them out. If you wipe them out, Lord, don't. He was there. He said, Moses, get out the way. God couldn't do it unless Moses got out the way. But the preacher was standing in the way. You, wanna, you ain't getting away with nothing. Something's happening. Intercession is happening for you. He's giving you time to get your sins right. But this leader is in the way. And I can't destroy the man of God because I can't touch my anointed or do my prophet no harm. He's in the way. And you're talking about a man who's being your priest. And he's the one stopping God from doing what he should do, judging you. I, I, I got to get through here, God. Ooh. 
God, yeah. Y'all hear God? So we, we need guidance. And guidance means that, that means that every pastor is a man of wisdom. He's not necessarily a man of knowledge, which means that, you know, a pastor doesn't have to know it all. <laughs> he just has to deal with it all. Give me up, but I 